we're here to shine new light on the games you love and the love in your games. I'm Lucy Morris. And I'm Lauren Clinic. And yeah, welcome to our first episode. This is pretty exciting, isn't it? We have had the most amazing reception to the announcement. Yeah, it's yeah, it's been pretty overwhelming, uh, the amount of followers that we've gotten on Twitter without even releasing an episode. So uh, thank you. <laughs> for all of cool your... we're ahead. <laughs> Thanks all of the confidence that you've put in us. We hope that uh, we can deliver on these managed expectations. I think the outpouring of love is very... Uh, suitable. It's very hashtag on brand for us. And I think it really is just tapping into the fact that a lot of us really care about this. And a lot of us do identify that these are very unexplored areas or areas that are just starting to come into a really exciting renaissance, if you will, of romantic, um, intimate and sexual content in games. So I'm delighted that we're getting this lovely reception and I'm super excited to be here and chat with you today. Same. Uh, I wasn't even really a podcast person until recently, which I feel like maybe is a bit uh, sacrilegious to say on the first episode of this podcast. But I think they're really valuable um, outlets for discussing like really niche topics. And not that this is really niche anymore, but yeah, everyone that's really into romance and games is so like ironically passionate about it um, that it's been really heartwarming to see all of the nice comments and excitement around love games. Absolutely. And if you are listening to this first episode for us, we would absolutely love feedback. We would love questions. We'd love uh, sort of suggestions of games that you'd like us to discuss. Because on this podcast, each week we're wanting to talk about a game and we'll be discussing how they've handled love, romance, sexuality, intimacy, and these areas. So we're definitely going to have interviews with special guests from the industry in some of our episodes. And in other episodes, you'll have you'll have Lucy and I as well. So generally, I think we're going to be taking questions from listeners at the end of the show. And at the end of this episode, we'll let you know how to get in touch with us. So Lucy, what are we going to kick it all off with today? Right. So today we're going to talk about um, actually one of my favorite games of 2017, uh, Mass Effect Andromeda. Contentious. Contentious, contentious fave. <laughs> I know, right? Um, it's, it's kind of weird because uh, this game, I think, unreasonably got a lot of bad press and I actually really enjoyed the experience for many reasons. Not just for the romance in it, but I think as just an overarching story, I really liked Andromeda as a whole. So <laughs> I'm excited to talk about it um, in a mm. positive light because um, I think they did a lot of things good and not just focusing on like you know, a couple of areas that were a bit rough, which I think happens in every every game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And everything that we've seen about the development troubles that that game had been through, the the changes and the challenges of, of basically Bioware as a whole, but also the teams that touch this game, I'm super impressed with the game that they ended up shipping. And I do think they were really prioritizing and giving a lot of love, um, if I may use the term, to the areas that were about the romance and the relationships. So, yeah, so I, I really liked it as well. For me, it was a solid, you know, eight out of ten kind of a game. It had mm. a couple of little blips here and there, but it felt like so much more of a, of a science-y kind of journey and not just a very typical you are the hero and you're super high powered. So I really loved it as a whole. Yeah, I I mean, like, um, there's been a bit of criticism about the fact it 
wasn't as space opera-y as the other three Mass Effect games. Um, but I kind of liked the change of pace going from, you know, these huge scale um, spaceship fights to actually just kind of thinking about the necessities of humanity and kind of settling down. I actually really enjoyed that direction the story took. So, yeah, I mean, I thought it was really good. Um, for those of you who don't know that, and don't know about Mass Effect, um, it is an action role-playing game. It's a third-person shooter, and uh, it was developed by Bioware and published by EA. Uh, it was released uh, 2017 on Xbox One, PlayStation 4, and PC. And so some people have described the tone of Andromeda as being much more Star Trek than Star Wars, whereas the previous trilogy of Mass Effect games were, to me, a lot more an action movie. For Mm. me, the pacing of Andromeda was a little bit more slow, a little bit more introspective, and the characters that were around you were a little bit less intense and, for me, a little bit less uh, cliche as well in in terms of tropes. So I really did find that element of Andromeda very, very refreshing. Mm. So Lucy, in the lead up for Andromeda, had you handpicked the person that you wanted to wanted to romance? What what was quite interesting about Andromeda for me is that I don't normally follow the hype cycles for um, big games closely. So when I pre-ordered Andromeda, I actually went in blind and didn't know what characters were going to be in it, which was actually kind of nice, like not knowing from the get-go who was going to be in my squad and everything. Um, So I didn't really pick them out straight away, but once I loaded the game and got the whole squad together, uh, I definitely selected the one that I was going to romance. (laughs) And yeah, I guess the rest is history. What about you? Did you pick straight away or? For me, if it's a Bioware title, I'm going to be a little bit obsessive and pathetic <laughs> in the lead up to it. Um, it's especially depending on what's going on in my life at the time. It, it might feel like this is the major thing I'm living for if a Bioware game is going to be coming out because mm-hmm. I just adore the universes so much. Mm-hmm. I'm much more Dragon Age than Mass Effect and no doubt we're going to get to the to the Dragon Dragon Age franchise in later episodes, but for me, I was as obsessively looking for information about who's romanceable with Andromeda, just try and get some spoiler-free takes on which ones were good, which ones weren't good in the minds of some critics that I like looking up to see what their opinions are. And for me, for queer representation, it's really, I'm always like, how queer is the representation? What options do I have in there for a non-heterosexual romance? What do I have in there for relationships that are outside of a heteronormative, monogamous kind of setting as well? So I was just spoiling myself a whole bunch like before the game came out. The embargo mm-hmm. lift was pretty tight to the release, so it was maybe only the day or two before the game came out that I could start pouring through the internet and spoilering myself for things. <laughs> well, you spoiled yourself before you played the game. <laughs> I didn't read the entire thing of like, this is what happens in this romance, but I was like, mm. who's the who's the male-male interests? Right. Do, like, do they have poly representation? Do they have this? So I was kind of spoiling myself um, halfway, but maybe mm-hmm. not all of the details. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the policy is always date an alien, if you can date <laughs> an alien. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, that's the point of differentiation is that you can date aliens here. So you should 
grab that chance by the by the whatever you want to grab it by and just go for it. <laughs> whatever you want to grab it by. <laughs> yeah. Whatever alien Sorry, bits are my, going. My phone just buzzed. You can tell when you're this because we don't turn our, our crap off before we start recording. <laughs> we but just yeah. want it to be natural listeners. We want it to feel like you're sitting down, having a coffee, I'm banging my headphones. And you we're know, talking just about like... dating aliens. That's <laughs> yeah. just a normal, actually a normal conversation yeah. for Lauren and I. So yes, it's not it too far from the is. truth. It very so, much is. So did you pick, um, who did you pick after you spoiled yourself for Andromeda? Yes. After I spoiled myself a bunch for Andromeda, I went with Vetra. So I went with Vetra and I played a femme rider. And mm-hmm. for me, we'll go into the details, but I really did enjoy the relationship with Vetra. It felt very mature. Mm-hmm. It felt very genuine. It felt very, very calm. It didn't have outside end of the world apocalypse influencing things. Um, Vetra has a loyalty mission where you kind of have to get a little sister out of a bind and she introduces you to her sister. She's already out to her sister. So there isn't these coming out anxiety story. There isn't a threat of death story with Vetra beyond the fact that you're doing a dangerous job. And it does Mm. become this really wholesome, supportive and healthy relationship uh, that's just a that's just very very mature. Vetra comes across as an older woman. I'm not sure canonically how old she is considered to be for her race, but um, but yeah, it just feels like you are you're dating a self assured, awesome lady who loves and supports you, and you know just wants to just wants to be with you. And her sister loves you, and it's just really really lovely. Um, the romance scene with her really is quite chaste, um, in my opinion as well. And so the there being sexual content, I believe, can be implied or could be read into it, but it can also be seen as quite a chaste relationship as well. And yeah, mm-hmm. uh, overall, it didn't burn with a fiery passion like, you know, uh, Hawk and Fenris from Dragon Age, for example, but it just felt like a very, a very mature, respectful and, and healthy relationship that I did really enjoy. Yeah, and I kind of thinking back to what you said earlier about um, just the narrative in general and Andromeda being a bit more introspective and a little bit more natural, and the characters are a little bit more, a little bit less intense rather. Yes. I think that's that shows a lot in the romances as well because my impression of the romances were that they were very kind of normal and they addressed mm. a lot of kind of normality that a lot of games romances don't address either because they don't have time or they don't have the resources. Mm. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit more about that because I'm going to talk about Jal because um, yes. he was he was my fave. Um, I thought <laughs> that his romance was uh, written really well uh, for multiple reasons. Um, but first, should we talk about what kind of romance options are in Andromeda for those of us who have not played it? You should play it. You should play it. Yeah, so some of the relationships, I mean, in Andromeda, there are relationships that will require commitment at a certain point, and some that don't Mm -hmm. require a commitment. There are relationships that you can have with your squad mates, and relationships that you can have with people that are not your playable squad mates that go with you on missions as well. Mm -hmm. So there's a variety of sexualities as well. Yeah, there's quite a variance which I thought was quite neat um they don't have the sort of Dragon Age 2 
pork sexual thing going on. Um, <laughs> these people actually have like defined identities and you know, they, they have convictions and reasons and, you know, they are entire characters of their own that have their sexuality as part of their personality, which is normal, which is why I like it. Andromeda is very normal and I just enjoy just how plainly everything is approached, like it's not a big thing. It's really good. It was really refreshing. There weren't too many characters that were suffering because of their sexuality. I, I believe at least the vast majority of the characters were very comfortable in their sexuality and the player character was not treated with, with homophobia or mm. was sort of exposed to homophobic um, chatter, which does come up in some other games. And there is a lot of interesting discussion to be had around the benefit of having an idealized world that is free of, of homophobia, biphobia. Uh, but then there is also the realism of, of including some discrimination as well. Andromeda by and large didn't uh, go on the side of having too much xenophobia um, or having too much homophobia around the relationships and genders in relationships, but there was a lot explored about humans versus the priorities of, of other races as well, which was interesting. Yeah, um, they definitely played the alien race card uh, quite a lot, um, but I thought that was actually an interesting way to develop um, a connection and develop relationships because they were trying to understand each other. And essentially romance or getting to know someone is, you know, learning to understand them and where they're coming from and their new perspective. And I think that um, that was approached really creatively and pretty well. So you can date quite a lot of people in Andromeda. <laughs> I'm trying to find the list quietly on my phone. Mm. It's, it's proven quite hard because I wrote Mass Effect A Dome Day romances <laughs> instead of Andromeda. So you have... Um, obviously, Jarl, who is from mm -hmm. uh, a male from the new species, the Angara, and uh, he's kind of a resistance fightery person that's like a soft marshmallow in the center. You have Suvi, who is your, she's your pilot, right? But she's also a doctor, scientist doctor. Yeah, so Suvi <laughs> is like your, your science officer slash navigator kind of character, and mm -hmm. not a squad mate, but does live on the ship. Yeah. Mm, and mm. then you have Liam, who is part of the Andromeda Initiative. I actually didn't talk to him too much. He just, he didn't seem as developed as some of the other characters. He, mm. he had a really good voice actor and uh, he had a few interesting quirks, but I didn't actually get to talk to him too much. He yeah, so... Is, yeah. Mm, he's a hetero character, so you can date Liam if you're a Sarah Ryder. And I do mm -hmm. believe you can sleep with him pretty early on without committing to him. So it's mm. one of the relationships where sex is not the apex end of the relationship as well, which yep. is an interesting thing that happens a bit in Andromeda where it breaks up the formula of apex sex, which gets visited sort of in the really early Mass Effect games. Yeah, exactly. And we'll talk about that a little bit later as well, mm. like what sex means in this game. And uh, another reason why I think that they did Andromeda quite well is because of how they handled these topics because mm. usually in romance games like sex is the win condition but it's not true in Andromeda which is really nice to see for once mm. um that you don't need to sleep with a character to get the culmination of the story love it right so those three options those are the female writers specific options so Liam and Suvi and Jal I think can be romanced by either a male or female writer 
And then you've got PB, who is the rogue Asari academic. Uh, he has very good entrances every time she comes up on screen, which is really cool. You've got Vetra, who uh, Lauren was just talking about, who is the kind of Turian drifter mercenary character. She is really quirky and witty, and uh, I appreciate all of her voice lines uh, quite mm. a great deal. Um, if you're a male writer, you can romance Cora, who is uh, a biotic commando that used to live with the Asari, um, another alien race in Mass Effect. And... Uh, yeah, she was supposed to be the second in command and then you kind of stole her job. So that's a really interesting um, power dynamic to explore um, in the relationship and also a conflict to solve. Um, you can also date Gil, who is the Tempest engineer. And he's also quite a quite a witty character who has a lot of great lines um, <laughs> in the romance. And there's a couple of other um, sub-characters you can romance as well that are kind of NPC, right? Yes. There's Reyes as well, who, again, is like, a uh, spoiler alert, a, a chaotic, um, untrustworthy bisexual. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> to use the trope, yeah. Um, but definitely very, very handsome. Yeah, I would have loved to recruit him as a character, but he's one of the bisexual love interests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, outside and of the ship. And also... Kerry, who is an Asari reporter, and it also says that the male writer can romance um, the Angaran historian Avella, but I have not seen that romance line. That mm. sounds interesting. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so that's a brief overview of who who you can romance in Andromeda, mm. and a lot of those uh, buzzwords probably make little to no sense if you haven't played a Mass Effect game. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's some humans and there's some aliens, and uh, some of them smooch and some of them don't. Yeah, super duper interesting. So I'm not sure if you've played any of the content or consumed any of the of the romance content from the other characters, Lucy? Um, I actually sat down and and watched quite a lot of them um, in preparation <laughs> for this episode. Um, I did, I watched Vetra's and mm-hmm. that was, I actually really enjoyed that and I kind mm-hmm. of regret not romancing her now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I also watched a bit of PB's as well and Suvi's. Um, so I've, I've got like a kind of a half overview of, mm. <laughs> of the romances in Andromeda mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, for my playthrough with Ryder, I romance Vetra, but w- while I was flirting with Vetra, I had, I had some casual sex with PB, mm-hmm. which, which was really good. It's an excellent zero-G um, sexy scene, which I was super impressed by. And what? it's yeah, I know it's zero G. That's amazing. <laughs> yes, definitely go and watch it. Um, it doesn't go for too long, but it's very light-hearted. There's laughter. It's not very serious, um, and I really enjoyed that that sex scene. And she makes it very clear that the encounter is a casual one. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, she doesn't mind if you're involved with other people. This is not a serious thing for her. And then you can you don't have to turn her down. It, the ball's then in your court if you want to progress the relationship further with PP, which I really really like. And then she said that she was really really happy when Vetra and I were dating. So I was like, oh, this is this is lovely. Um, hmm. Once once you commit to Vetra, you are committed to Vetra. But she doesn't bring up any negatives around me, quote unquote, sleeping around and things like that, which you know, which some other games have done in similar situations. So. Yeah, I really, really like that. Um, I felt tempted to also sleep with the Kerry Tavessa, the Asari journalist that pesters you for a lot of interviews. 
<laughs> back on home base. But yeah. She she basically offers a relationship with you, but she's like, yeah, and if you're seeing anyone else, it'll be our secret. So she's kind of almost mm. saying that she almost wants it to be a bit of an affair. So I was like right. really turned off. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's it really was interesting. Like, she wanted to be shady. I'm like, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so so that was really interesting. You didn't get tempted by Reyes or anything when you were out on missions? I don't think so. I actually can't recall running into him too much. He's mm-hmm. on uh, Kadar, right? Kadara. 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 Yes. Dodgy Land. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love Dodgy Land. It's easily like one of my favorite places in Andromeda. To it's very out. good. <laughs> um, no, I was tossing up between, actually between Vetra and Jal. Uh, mm. So that was, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty easy. But yeah, like the side characters did have um, good character and good substance, mm. which is good because um, it's quite difficult to kind of flesh out a character that you're not actively controlling or isn't on your ship all the mm. time or yeah mm. it's quite hard to entice someone that way but I think that they did quite well with like the spread of romances mm. and you know the spread of like different types of characters and their importance mm. to you um and the plot and just as a person so yeah yeah and I would love to hear more from you about what you enjoyed from the Jal relationship because oh, yeah. I haven't seen all his romantic <laughs> content but I really loved being his friend in the game and he really seemed to represent a different approach to masculinity as well. Yeah, um, I think that's why I enjoyed his romance so much. Again, like bringing it back to that kind of normality, like I feel a lot of romances and games kind of sensationalize romance and just focus mm-hmm. on really intense moments, just like really, really climactic points or, you know, intense moments of conflict. But the romance with Jal, like, it progressed slowly and steadily, but it, they also, um, it comes across a lot of obstacles that are just normal in a relationship to come across mm. that you wouldn't necessarily expect to see in a game, which I really enjoyed. I think a good example of this is the emails that you get sent in Mass Effect. So you have a console where you can um, receive messages from your crew and uh, it's another way to facilitate conversation with your um, mm. significant other or your romantic interest. And uh, Jal is like really wholesome. And uh, I think halfway through the romance, he's like, oh, I really want you to meet my mother. Mm. Um, I have the emails open, actually. Um, oh, so cute. He's like, oh, I've been telling my family about you. I'd love for you to meet them and see where I grew up. Like family's really important to him. And you actually see family as a theme occur a lot in... Um, in the romances in Andromeda, which I, I like because that's, you know, again, the normality. In a lot of romances and games, you don't have that wider, you know, mm. familial connection, um, familial connection, rather. Whew, it's late. Mm. <laughs> and uh, you don't often have to think about the interactions um, with this person's family when, you know, you might be worried in real life if you have to meet someone's parents or, you know, <laughs> if their sister's going to like you or um, if you have to go to a family reunion or... Yeah, not necessarily that family's always part of relationships, but it's something that I see not addressed very often in mm. games. Mm. And anyway, so he wants you to meet his mother, and uh, she starts sending you emails. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's, it's quite adorable, and she's like, um, this alien match might be offensive to some people because you're a new race to the, to the <laughs> cluster, and, you know, no one knows what you are. But it's just like, you should ignore them and, you know, don't give them any more thought than I did as a challenge and a gift to break boundaries, which I think was really nice to have this Aww. kind of support from a family character. 
And then she um, keeps sending you emails like, uh, do you have a favorite weapon? Uh, what was the home world like? <laughs> Perhaps we can find ways to make you feel more at home here. Um, can you describe the human birth process to me? <laughs> I'm interested for many obvious reasons. And she's uh, like, I'm never embarrassed. And then she sends you a final email that says, it's titled About Pie. And then she asks you, do you like pie? I found some food books from your home planet of Earth. Unfortunately, the other mothers aren't impressed with the flavor. I hope you like pie. Um, <laughs> so it's just a kind of wholesome interaction that might be plausible in real life, but not necessarily ever addressed much um, peripherally in games. That's actually so cute. That is so nice and sweet. Yeah, and you do go meet her and she's lovely. Um, and what's quite interesting about the Angara is that they have multiple mothers. Mm. So it's a really matriarchal society. And uh, I think, yeah, it's just, it's really refreshing to see a different take on things and just mm. seeing like normal family interactions. And mm. those emails were so cute. It sold mm. me. And I feel like Jal is such a, such a, a woke hipster bay kind of thing. <laughs> woke hipster. <laughs> Coming from this matriarchal society and being really in touch with his emotions and mm. he is very emotional in his conversations with, with Ryder, sort of relationship or no. And yeah. some to the point of getting overwhelmed by his feelings sometimes, which I think is a really awesome thing to show um, in a male character as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, he doesn't shy away from emotions and obviously they haven't, well, they've also like avoided stereotyping certain pastimes because he says that he enjoys sewing and, um, you know, he's also like a sniper or mm. um, he's a he's a resistance fighter. I don't know if he's specifically a sniper, but the fact that they've given him a wide range of interests that's just like, hey, these are interests rather than stereotyping the character into a box actually made him way more interesting and mm. uh, way more relatable. Mm. And it was just, you know, really easy to empathize with his character and. Yeah, I think that they did a really good job of making him nuanced. Yeah, I think overall the aliens in the Mass Effect games get to be their own thing without being a stereotype and like, mm. this one's the scary one and this one's the snake one. I think the Asari mm -hmm. are a very interesting challenge because the design that they went with for Asari were that the Asari are a monogendered culture, so they really don't have an understanding of a gender binary. They just yeah. have Asari bodies, but they look really feminine, and so and they're happy to use she/her pronouns, and they're happy to be kind of rounded up to be female in the eyes of other races, and mm -hmm. they can mate with any race, and they're kind of quite sexualized, and they're popular as. Um, like as sex workers and as strippers and things in the universe. And mm -hmm. basically all races seem to find Asari sexy. And that's an interesting challenge because sexualized characters uh, are not a problem. It's just when that's all they, they get to be. So yeah. for me, I really enjoyed that uh, Andromeda had a lot of different types uh, of Asari. They mm -hmm. had some super aggressive, more masculine acting Asari then they also had PB, who was in her young, I think they call it the maiden stage, maybe, for Asari, because mm -hmm. they live for hundreds and hundreds of years. So she's like, I'm in my wild child stage. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to calm down for another 200 years. And that's very cool and interesting. Yeah. 
Super enjoyable. Yeah, I feel like um, the relationships in Andromeda got to have more breathing room and more subtlety because a lot of the time you weren't being educated about an alien race for the first time, potentially, because there was already a lot of lore and a lot of backstory and a lot of people that played Andromeda already knew Turians and Salarians and Asari. So you weren't getting told the whole backstory of entire alien races again. There was kind of only the Angara that you had to learn that was new. Mm -hmm. So it just seemed like everything was a little bit further along in the understanding. So which had an interesting effect on the relationships, I think. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, again, just making them kind of like, even though they're an other, it, and they integrated so well with the Andromeda narrative that they feel familiar straight away and they've done a really good job of making a, a new race, which is hard in like a, a fourth entry in a three game series to make it, you know, feel like it fits <laughs> in, but they feel very at home in the Mass Effect universe. Mm, mm. And yeah. And talking about the emails, I mean, from a game development perspective, that is a very clever way to add more character development and mm. more narrative content that isn't a cinematic, super expensive, time consuming modeling animations like yeah so much goes into every casual chat that you have with games that are in triple a finding ways to do smart environmental storytelling and sort of supplemental sup, supplemental meh, supplement narrative content like the email system is really smart and super cost effective yeah and i actually found it um enhanced my experience a lot Oh, I can't talk anymore. It's so late. <clears throat> <laughs> I felt that it enhanced my experience a lot because you would get told on the bridge when you got a new email. So you would then immediately go like, oh, I'm going to go down and check my emails. Like, you know, if you don't do that enough in real life, you can go mm. down and check your fantasy emails. And uh, <laughs> not just the, like, obviously I looked forward to the ones from the person I was romancing the most because they were often, you know, the most engaging for me because I like romancing games. Mm. But just like a how it, um, reveals so much more about the other characters in the game and just their thought processes. Um, there's also uh, a message board that you can read in the crew quarters uh, where they post like random messages to each other. It's just like a forum board and that was also really amusing to watch mm, um, and mm. see updated. And that, yeah, again, that's in the same vein of really, really low budget. Um, this is just, you know, some, some, not just some text, but you know, it doesn't have to have mm. cutscenes developed, it doesn't mm. have to have um, all of that production budget behind it. And it adds so much to the experience because you would keep coming back to your ship and, you know, looking at this message board in the, in the bunk quarters and you're mm. like, huh, this is the shit that's going on. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um when you're working in game development and when you're working with things like voiceovers, for example, and you have an actor that will come and do the voiceover work and do a huge chunk of it at a certain point in your development, then later on you might get them to do some supplemental voice work because you've finalized the final twist or you've finalized or decided to change something in the story. And then maybe you get one more session to do some little what they call pickups, so like little fixes, small barks, minor retakes and things like that. But you have to pay a real, like it's basically a lot to get an actor in a studio to record the VO. So when you're doing a big budget game like the Bioware titles, it's so expensive to record Infinity VO or record VO that you don't use or, mm. you know, try and add more to it. So 
ways like the message boards and the emails when it comes to, okay, we need a narrative workaround or we decided to make a story change. Jal would have an opinion about that, but we really can't, we can't fit it into another VO recording or we're, we're past the point of being able to do pickups. So let's address it in an email or let's address it in a message board. These are all just really clever ways that in a narrative heavy game, the game developer can pick pick up a different tool basically to try and address some of those gaps and if any of the writing felt uneven or if you if people we all wish we could have infinity conversations with a character that we've fallen in love with but um, financially it's not always possible so I love seeing them address all of these smart different things to to make the characters come alive it was really great to see yeah, and aside from just being a smart way to kind of, you know, flesh out the narrative, I feel like it just made the world a bit more believable as well, because, I mean, let's face it, we're probably never going to not have some sort of connected social media of any kind. <laughs> um, so seeing, like, that still functioning and having the affordance of social media in our own context was really cool, because mm. you're like, oh... X years in the future, they're still like on Twitter in their bunk room, or like I've, I'm still going to get emails, even though humanity's <laughs> pro- progressed this far. I'm still going to get emails. <laughs> so yeah, those kind of normal affordances are kind of reassuring and just make it more relatable and make the world just a little bit more detailed and mm. believable. I think definitely. And I would say you know one of these takeaways is just let your game and let your characters have quiet moments and let them have connections about super minor things like pie or about someone's sister (laughs) you know even if you have this action backdrop have these quiet breathing moments between characters and and have the conversations not always be around the great apocalypse or the huge crime that you're trying to solve so i think there's a lot of learnable lessons there for developers Um, I guess like this kind of all encompasses what we think Andromeda did well in romance. Um, And another thing that I thought it did particularly well is that uh, at the end of the game, there was a lot of like forward planning about the characters' futures as well. So they were mostly discussing things like, hey, what do you want to do from now on? Do you want to settle down here? Do you want to start a family? Do you want to build a house? Um, And they were kind of having these more long-term conversations. And long-term conversations about relationships is another thing that you don't see a lot of in games. And we didn't see it to fruition in Andromeda, so like, I won't give it those points. But at least they're talking and kind of making plans for the future rather than the bad guy's dead, everyone go home, Here's, we're <laughs> going to cut to a shot of a big bad alien and that's going to be the next game. Mm. Um, it was kind of nice to see them all come back together uh, with the conflict over and start to think about where they take the relationship from there and uh, what their relationship means to them from that point on. Do they want the same thing? Are they going to support each other through that? And I thought that was quite nice, really. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely felt like the characters were going to have a future, whether that was together um, or otherwise. Mm. Andromeda definitely had themes that, uh, that maybe weren't super thoughtfully engaged with in terms of like, colonizing as well oh, like, yeah yeah and all of and all of the implications of being a colonist and being like okay we've we've escaped this one galaxy and we need to colonize new ones it's interesting with humans being the new small fish in the big pond which is quite interesting 
but uh, but I think overall having the theme be around exploration rather than be about defense or about combat, which were really driving themes of the first trilogy, mm-hmm. I think had a very knock-on effect to the tone of the relationships. So the yeah. relationships all explored a lot. It wasn't life and death. And you're mostly all scientists and explorers. Some of you are, are very good at combat, but you were all there because you wanted to be there for their people or be there for their family or just really believe in like a love of science and discovery, which was really awesome because all the previous ones were like, well, I'm a professional soldier, <laughs> like basic, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's something I find quite frustrating about a lot of science fiction games is that they're often uh, dystopian sci-fi which I feel like is sometimes an easy out like it's easy to think about the world blows up or like the apocalypse happens or like Earth gets Mm. destroyed or these outcomes but kind of thinking about where humanity can do really well and create a better future for themselves and have a you know have a positive utopian future is something you don't see as much of and I think that's probably why I'm such a big Star Trek fan, because it is like an entire set of series about, you know, a future where humanity has progressed and improved upon themselves and they still have struggles, but it's, it gives you hope for a better future rather than, oh, we're all annihilated. <laughs> um, so I, I do like that Andromeda is, is kind of utopian in that sense. Again, it does have those issues about colonization, but on the whole, like, yeah, as you were saying about exploration and partnerships with, you know, other races and working together is um, really wholesome. And I wish there were more utopian sci-fi games with romances about building a house together and having little (laughs) alien babies. That would be great. (laughs) (laughs) We'll go forth and we will make those games. And we want to speak to you if you're making those games. And if you're someone that really does feel like it's a wide open galaxy when it comes to these kinds of themes, then, you know, this is the podcast for you. This is why we're sitting down and having these chats. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you about Andromeda today, Lucy. And I feel like, um, you know, we love our alien, our alien bays. So, so basically, we'll have this kind of format where we are discussing discussing a game. It might get quite detailed. It might be quite broad. So for anyone who'd like to make suggestions for the next game that they'd like us to discuss, we can, of course, be found on the internet at, at LoveGamesCast on Twitter and also by using the LoveGamesCast hashtag on Twitter as well. No doubt there will be more than... More than one way to contact us in future, but we're going to start there. And yeah, we're just looking forward to having the conversation. If you enjoyed this, please leave a review. That kind of thing absolutely helps. And yeah, what do you reckon, Lucy? Are we about ready to love them and leave them? Yep, I think it's probably time before I start talking about more alien babies. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm always down (laughs) for alien baby chats. All right. And there's our quote for the first episode. (laughs) alien baby chats okay thank you so much everyone that's tuned in we'll chat to you again soon this has been lauren and this has been lucy for the love games cast and we'll chat to you soon thanks bye friends